we adore you and we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can sing aloud to your name and glorify the name of Jesus. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning is Communion Sunday, and if you have not yet grabbed your little cup with your wafer on top, they are in the lobby, so I uh, encourage you to do so now. Well, we come to the Lord's table often, and we do it on a monthly basis, the first Sunday of every month. And, and many times that can feel like a tradition that we just do. It's something that we just expect, where we say, oh yeah, we're going to have communion this Sunday. But it's, it's so much more than a ritual. Remember, as we come to the Lord's table, there are several things that, that we come with. We come with a, a desire to remember what Christ has done for us. We come with a, a heart of reflection where we are called to reflect and look into our own hearts, where we are asking the Lord to show us what it is that we need to do to get right with Him. And that is part of examination, where we are examining our own hearts and, and, and challenging the Lord to go deep within us and say, here are the areas that you need to confess. Here are the areas that you need to work on. But it's also a time of celebration where we come and we rejoice in the fact that Christ will come again. Amen? Amen. And on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we know that his body was torn asunder. His body was ripped open and broken for you and for me. And so let us remember what he's done for us and partake together. And as I had said, it's a time of examination. And so I ask that you take a moment, a minute, two minutes to ask the Holy Spirit, where are the areas in your life that you need to get right with Him? Take some time now. Christ took the cup and he said this is my blood the blood of the new covenant drink and do this in remembrance of me and proclaim my death until I return let us partake together Let us turn our hearts once again to prayer and then we will jump into the word together. <clears throat> 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. Sending Christ for us to die, to be broken, to shed blood on our behalf. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is such an amazing truth. That is so hard for us to grasp. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will guide and direct my words. That as we open up the word of God, the, the, the word that was written and carried along by the Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you will speak to our hearts. And this won't just be a time of education, but also a time of transformation. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we continue in our series of our mission and vision. And if you were to pull out your bulletin at the very top, you would see the words of our vision written there. And the words are this, aspiring to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore our relationships with God and others. Today we are going to be focusing on restore, the restoration of our souls, because it is a promise that we see in Scripture. I want to share with you a story of, of, a, of a woman in Paris. I went with our Envision arm, our uh, missions arm of the Christian and Missionary Alliance to Paris, France, and many people say, well, is that really a missions field? Well, yes, it is. And only a small fraction of people are evangelical Christians who believe in the reality of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. There's a lot of religion that goes on in France, but it is not the Christianity that you and I know as the transformative reality of the gospel. And as we were there, we met a, a woman who, uh, the person who was with us on the mission field had already spent a lot of time with this person and, and had really poured their life into this, this one woman. And as I was spending time with her, the Spirit of God revealed something to me about her past. And, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, that's kind of weird. I need to test this with the person who knows her very well. And so I tested this, this word that I had received about this woman and, and the pain that was in her past. And, you know, the person, the, missions, the missionary was, began to cry and say, how would you know something like that? And so it was the Lord. It was the Spirit of God. And the missionary said, well, we need to go and we need to tell her this story. And so I began to tell her the story of what God had revealed to me. And, you know, it was pretty dark. It was pretty rough in her past. And she said, do I have a face that just tells everybody that, that that's going on in my life? And I said, no, that was the Holy Spirit of God. And he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he cares. He wants you to know that he knows you. And he wants to draw you to himself. And I found out later that this woman had begun to go to the church more often than she had before, where she was beginning to go to services and hear the Word of God even more. There was a hunger that was within her. But one of the things that, that I have seen over and over and over again is stories like this, stories of the reality that God knows our brokenness, the reality that God knows who we are, the reality that God cares about our past and desires to bring about a restoration. Because in God's sovereignty, nothing surprises God. There's nothing in your life that surprises God. There is no brokenness, no health, no joy that God has not already seen and not already known. And the full impact of God's love declares in his promises that he cares. He cares about the past pains and the past wounds. 
He cares about the brokenness that you experience now. Nothing surprises God at all. Our brokenness and pain are not foreign to God. He desires to bring restoration to our brokenness. And this week we're going to be talking about the restoration of our souls. Because we all need to be restored. We all have aspects of brokenness. And there's this sense as we look at stories and we look at the scripture of Revelation and we see the fullness, the full picture of heaven and Jesus' description of heaven and the scripture's description of heaven, there's this desire that we long to be home in the presence of God. There's a longing that you and I have for heaven. And that is normal and that is natural because we know deep within ourselves intrinsically, whether you're saved or not, you know within the core of your being that this is not the way it was meant to be. As we look at the brokenness, the lostness of man, we look at all the storms and all of the pain that's in the world we know that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. We know that we were meant to walk hand in hand, arm in arm, face to face with the living God, and that was God's intent all along. That was God's intent all along. And I've shared with you even aspects of my own brokenness during this time of coronavirus. You know, as a pastor, I'm not immune to the, the, the feeling of depression, the feeling of sadness, the anxiety that this coronavirus has created within us. And I shared with you that in my brokenness, I turned to food and I gained a lot of weight during the time where we were shut down and all these different things. Because we all have brokenness. We all need the restoration of the Lord. And one of the beautiful things is that God's will is for our restoration. Because heaven is a now and not yet reality. We see this in Matthew where Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A beautiful passage that you and I can grasp onto to know that we are to pray for God's will now here on earth. And God's will, my friends, is your restoration. God's will is for you to come to a transforming relationship with him that all of your brokenness can be restored. Now we will not experience the fullness of heaven here, but we can experience some of the reality of the restoration that God has for us. And so the question that we have to ask is how can we experience restoration for our souls? If this is a promise of scripture, and as we sung, he keeps his promises, how do we receive how do we gain this restoration of our souls? And so we're going to read through Scripture, and I like to call it biblical calisthenics because we're going to be going from Old Testament to New Testament to New Testament to Old Testament. All right, Revelation 22, 1 through 5, and you can read it on the screen or you can pull it up on your phone, your iPad, or whatever you read your Bible on. The Word of the Lord, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. 
Now we'll read a very famous and popular psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, Matthew 6, 9 through 10 Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There is a restoration that is promised to us. There's a restoration that God desires to give to us. We see this in the fullness of the imagery of Revelation. We see the beauty of the life flowing from the river of God, and that is coming from the throne of God. And so that imagery, I believe, teaches us the first thing that you and I need to understand about receiving the the resurrection and restoration of our souls, and that's this, that you and I are to seek life from the source, not the scraps. To seek life from the source and not the scraps. If you remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they decided that they were going to partake of the tree of good and evil because they wanted to be like God. They were convinced that if they eat from this tree, that they will be like God because Satan had shown them that. He had said, you will be like God. You will not have to rely on him anymore. You can be your own person separated from God. And so they had this belief, this false understanding. And so they went for the scraps of life rather than living continuously in the source of life. And the source of life is the Lord is the presence of the living God. That you and I can go to the source of life. But often we choose the scraps as well. We look at what this world has to offer and some of it seems appealing. Some of it seems like, oh, that would really be good for me to attach to my life. Oh man, you know, fame, fortune, all these different things that we could possibly go after. This has to be good. I'm going to partake. I want this for myself. And we begin to move away from the source of life. Just like I began to move away from the source of life in my sadness and frustration and anxiety. That I was just going after the scraps. Trying to feed an emotional problem when I needed the Lord. I needed the source of life. You and I need the source of life because life flows from God. Life flows from from nowhere else. I don't care where you're at in life, whether you believe in Jesus and have come to salvation in his name, or if you've been a Christian for a long time, we can still go after the scraps rather than the source. But as we see this imagery in Revelation, life flows 
from God. Life flows from the throne of God. The river is beginning with God. And we don't need any light. We don't need the sun because he is enough. Hell, essentially, is the absence of God's presence. It's the absence of God's presence. And that is what happened in the garden, where there was a separation that happened. Not because God desired that, but because Adam and Eve stepped away and said, nope, we're going to do this on our own. They came in repentance, and the Lord covered them and forgave them, but they had lost that intimate relationship with the source of life. They had lost that connection that they had. They could no longer walk hand in hand as they once had because they were going after the scraps of life. Now here's the beauty of us as believers. Here's the beauty. In Ephesians 1, we know from Paul that the Lord has given us the down payment of our faith. And who is the down payment of our faith? The Holy Spirit of God. When we look at Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is likened to water. Rob Reamer, a, uh, an ATS uh, theologian as well as professor, he, he wrote a book called River Dwellers where we are called to live in the river of the Holy Spirit because you and I have access to the Holy Spirit's presence now. When Christ died, the veil was torn so that we could now enter into the presence of God. Now, we cannot enter into the full glory of God's presence because we would drop dead, we'd fall over because it's so powerful and so holy. But you and I have access to the presence of God like no other time in history. When the church began, when the Holy Spirit fell, that started a new age. It started a new time. It started the age of the church where you and I can have the Holy Spirit of God empowering us, filling us, speaking to us, and bringing the presence of God into us. But too often we neglect the source of life. We neglect to ask the Holy Spirit to be our fullness We desire to try and do it on our own. But we have so much brokenness. We have so much pain. You and I cannot restore ourselves. We need the restoration of God. We need the restoration of God because life only flows from God. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, he said, the Holy Ghost will make his presence real. Do not be satisfied until you know his appearing. He will make the presence of God real. Do not be satisfied. You know, the imagery of the source and the scraps, I always think of people who are just under a table. I remember my, my little sister would get under the table and she would eat you know, stuff off the ground. That's weird, right? But it would happen. And we, we see that happening with dogs. They're like, oh yes, it's macaroni from his plate. I'm going to eat it. Right? And many times we're the dog going after the macaroni on the floor. Because we're going after the scraps, the things that will never sustain us. When there's a huge meal at the table in the presence of God, we're like, I'll just take the macaroni. I mean, because craft macaroni is really tasty. Rather than going after the good Stouffer's macaroni or the homemade macaroni, right? Or the huge steak on the plate. If you're a vegetarian, I apologize. I love steak. You can have your giant quinoa thing or you can have whatever you would eat, right? 
Just imagine the most delicious thing on the planet, and that is what is at the table, the source of life. But too often, we're going to get the Kraft macaroni, or worse, like the cheap knockoff Kraft macaroni under the table. But we should go after the source of life, not the scraps of life. He will make his presence known. So my question for you is, what scraps have you been satisfied with? What are the areas of life that you have been under the table eating the really bad food, the scraps from the plate at the table of God? What are those things that you're trying to find satisfaction in that will never satisfy? Because life only comes from God. It flows from God. The second thing that we can see in order for us to have a restored soul is that restoration flows in stillness, not our busyness. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I don't know if you've ever gone outside and you've just spent time by still waters, but it's hard to be loud because you just enjoy the silence. As a father, I enjoy the silence because my house is not silent right? It is constantly chaotic, or someone is screaming, or yelling, or shouting with excitement, or joy, or frustration, or hey, that's my screen, not your screen. I mean, there's just so much noise all over the place. You go outside, you can't get away from noise. Someone's honking, not as much here in Indiana, I'll confess, but somebody is doing something outside. Cars are roaring. We have a dirt bike that lives near our house, and it's awesome to watch them do some tricks, but it's loud. It's not quiet. We need stillness. But that's not an American norm. We love to be busy. We love to be busy. Many people die after retirement because they feel like they have nothing to live for. Because they're no longer as busy as they once were. We have a problem in America being still. But you and I, we cannot hear the voice of the Lord unless we are still. We need the quiet to hear God. We need the quiet to hear God. Restoration comes in the stillness, not in the busyness. You know, the first four letters of restoration is rest. Rest. He restores my soul, and he does this through the quiet. And I love how David states it. He said, he makes me lie down. Sometimes the Lord needs to make us lie down. Amen? Needs to make us lie down. David, he's admitting this thing where, you know, I might not really want to lay down in green pastures, but he makes me. Because I need to be still. I need to hear his voice in the quiet. And I often hear from Christian believers, they say, you know what? I I just don't hear God's voice. I don't hear him speak to me. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't say things to me. He doesn't give me words of, of knowledge or encouragement. I don't, I don't hear his voice. And my first question is always, well, when have you stopped to be quiet to listen? Oh, well, you know, I try for five minutes and then my phone rings. Or I try for 10 minutes and then I'm like, oh, I got to read something. Or, you know, I try for 15 minutes and then I get really bored and my mind just wanders. We need to practice the presence of being with God in quiet. And you know what? Because American life is so busy, it might just take you two hours to come to a place where you actually hear his voice. 
Are you willing to sacrifice two hours to just sit and be quiet and wait for the Lord's voice? Because that's where we hear God speak. That is practicing the presence of the Lord. But we don't like to do that. Because we feel like, oh, it's a waste of time. Trust me, I have the same issue. I'm a, I'm a person of productivity. I want to produce something. I want something at the end of the day to be done. I have a schedule. I have a plan. And, and I want it to get done. I have this, this desire to make sure that everything I had organized to get done gets done. But the Lord sometimes has to punch me in the gut. Have you ever had one of those? They don't feel really good, but in the end, you're like, oh, I needed that. Because he's like, just be slow. Stop. Your plans are no match for my plans. Just sit and be quiet. The next thing that we can see in this beautiful imagery in the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation, many times when we look at it, we say, okay, that's all futuristic. That's all the things that we need to look about uh, for our eschatology, our view of the end times. That's something that's going to happen. But the reality is, is that almost all of Scripture has something to apply for our life now. Now, I have struggles with trying to figure out how most of Numbers or Leviticus, you know, building the temple has something to apply to my life now. But I'm sure it's there, right? We read that and we say, I just don't get why cubic feet matter to my life right now. But there's something, right? And in Revelation, there's also something for us to apply. And I believe one of the things that we see in this imagery is that the place of pain will be made into a place of promise, the place of pain will be made into a place of promise. Now we see that. It goes from garden to garden. Where the curse began, now we see a new garden. Where the life source of God is flowing in the middle of the city. It is a city and a garden. There is restoration, full restoration, where we are now in the presence of God again. When we go to heaven and we experience that time when we are with God. But if we are going to be honest with the prayer that Jesus has called, if that is his ultimate will, that we will be in the presence of God and receive the life from him in, for all eternity, there is a reality of his will for earth now that you and I would experience this place of pain becoming a place of promise. Because there are places in your life, there are places in my life where deep pain happened. There are times that you can remember where something traumatic happened to you. Maybe it's a specific road that you were driving on and you had a horrific accident. And every time you come around that part of the road or you know you, know you have to make it through that way, you travel around it because you're like, I don't want to have that again. There are places of pain in our lives because place matters. We remember places of trauma and we try to avoid them. Because that was a place of pain. That was a place of brokenness. And I cannot go back there because all of the memories of my trauma will come back. You see, but God renews a garden. He makes it a place of promise. Wall, a, a, a commentator on the book of Revelation, he said, John draws the reader back into the Garden of Eden as a place of promise. This time for the healing of the nations rather than their curse. The place that started as a curse becomes a place of promise. Now, I don't know what the areas or the places of your life where traumatic events had happened, 
Maybe it was your old house when you were a kid and you were beaten by your parents. Maybe it was some other type of traumatic place where you remember the trauma because you know that place. For me, it was the parsonage in Foos Mills, which is a church that is near uh, Altoona. If you remember anything about my story, my dad was a pastor, and in that parsonage, he was bleeding out because he, he had attempted suicide. He had went into his church office, the Foos Mills Alliance Church, slid his wrists and his neck, and he came into the parsonage and was bleeding out. That was a place of trauma for me. That was a place of pain. God has restored my family, and I'll talk about that in the end, because God is a God of restoration. But in that moment, that place became a place of pain, and I could never think about that place in anything other than pain. But I felt the Lord calling me to, to go back to that place, for him to redeem that place for me. And so one time while we were going to Del Grosso Park, maybe some of you know about Del Grosso, maybe some of you don't, but we were going to, it was Bland's Park then, but we were going to the park and I felt the Lord say, go back to the parsonage. Let me redeem and restore the image of that place. And so Hillary and I went and we pulled off and I felt like, man, this is going to be really rough. I'm going to like ball my brains out because this was a place of such trauma. But when I stepped into that place, the Lord made it a place of promise. And I remember the Lord saying, this is where I began to shape you. What the enemy meant for evil, I turned for good. Had that trauma not happened in my life in that place, I have no idea where I would be in my faith. I might be another pastor's kid who rebelled and rejected God and began to go down that path and walked away from the Lord forever. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lord said, this is a place of promise. There are areas in your life that God wants to restore, places that God wants to redeem. And this leads me to the third thing for our restoration, the restoration of our souls. And that's this, that the Lord offers healing for all of our hurts. The Lord offers healing for all of our hurts. There is no hurt, there is no place, there is no pain that he cannot restore. There is nothing that he cannot restore. I've seen it in my own life where my mom had walked away, my dad tried to commit suicide. There was all kinds of pain and trauma in my life but each and every one of my family members has been restored to the Lord. Each and every one, my mom included. And we are all walking with the Lord. You know, that place of trauma and pain, you would think that would derail a life. And it should have. But the Lord brought restoration. The Lord brought about a healing. The Lord brought about a place of promise and a change in my life. And that's not just a testimony for me. That's a testimony for you. That that can be true. That he desires to heal any and all of the hurts in your life. No matter what it is. No matter where you've come from. No matter how big the trauma. No matter how big the brokenness or the pain. He can and he will heal it. Amen? It is the truth of the promise of the gospel, and I've seen it true, and it can be true for you as well. In Genesis 4, 10 through 16, we see that due to Cain's sin of murder, that he didn't just have to leave the land. Now, this was when they were pushed out, 
was when Cain had murdered his brother. He didn't just have to leave the land. This is where he was accursed and lost his ability and our ability to be in the presence of God. Because you remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, God did come searching for them. It wasn't the same hand-in-hand conversation, but it was a sense of, I will cover you. But then Cain continued in the place of sin. He wanted to be better than his brother. He was jealous and arrogant. And so he murdered his brother when God said that he loved Abel's gift. Abel's gift was given with a better heart than Cain's. And he killed his brother and he was accursed. He was left away from the face of God. And Wall summarizes this well when he said, this more personal acquaintance with God's reverse, where God reverses God's curse of Cain, who was banished not only from the land, but from God's presence. Where he says very specifically in the portion of restoration, he says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. That word is going back to the curse of Cain. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will be, you and I will be in the presence of God again. Nothing will be accursed anymore when we are in heaven. This face-to-face communion with Jesus is our true and full inheritance as children of God. A.B. Simpson says it this way, the land of promise is the land where Jesus is revealed in all of his fullness. The land of promise is where the presence of Jesus is revealed in all of his fullness. Do you desire the presence of God? Do you desire for him to heal your hurts because it's available? He desires to bring restoration to your soul. And only he, as as the psalm says, he restores my soul. Only he can. The source of life and not the scraps. Because God's presence is the light that shines on our restoration. There will be no more night. There will be no more darkness. Only the, the flow of God's presence will bring about the light. We won't need the sun. We won't need a lamp All we'll need is the presence of God because His light is the light that shines on our restoration. Will we take time to be with the source of life or will we continue to be under the table going for the scraps? I challenge you, I challenge myself to get up at the table, to be at the very presence of God and not under the table because He alone is the source of life. His presence is is what we need. It's not a specific devotional regimen. It's not following a schedule where every day you have that hour of reading the Bible and writing something down, but it's the presence of God. Or you see, you know what? I'm just going to sit in the presence of the Lord. And you wait upon the Lord. We see that in the Psalms as well. For I will wait upon the Lord. And that doesn't just mean that, you know, I'll step in and and wait five minutes and then if he's late for my appointment that I've designed for him to be a part of, then I'll just leave and walk away. No, we wait until he meets us, until he's there. This is something that God has been challenging me with. I believe that many of us in this room have experienced brokenness. I would suggest that all of us have experienced brokenness 
in our lives. And many of us in this room may have never been healed or restored from those areas of brokenness in our lives. Today's a day where the Lord desires to bring healing to your hurts and pains. Where he desires to bring healing to your brokenness, whether it's a brokenness of marriage, where you believe that your marriage has no hope. Maybe it's a brokenness of a promise that you felt like God didn't keep, and there was something that you thought he was saying for you, and he just didn't keep his promise, where you're bitter and angry. Maybe it's a place of trauma, where in my life I saw in Foose Mills the brokenness of my family and the attempted suicide of my father, where there are areas of brokenness and pain that you've not allowed the Spirit of God into. Maybe there are scraps that you've been feeding yourself that you need to get back up at the table. Again, heaven is a here and not yet reality. But Jesus asked us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is to break off the curses and lies from your life. That's the will of God. To bring restoration. The whole point of the cross was to restore our relationship to him where there seemed to be no way for us to come back to the source he made a way, where the enemy meant something for evil, God turned it for good. And he can do that with anything in our lives. And what I, what I have experienced in my life is that restored people can be conduits of restoration for others. All of us are broken. All of us need healing. So I want to challenge you. If the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to you about an area of brokenness this morning, I want you to ask the source of life to bring healing. And whether you come to the altar and cry out to the Lord, and myself and a couple of leaders here in the church will come and pray over you and pray with you and ask and beg for the Lord's healing for you because that's part of the children's bread. We are promised healing. No matter what the trauma is, the brokenness is, the pain is, there's healing for you. And so as we worship through song, my challenge is that you will get up at the table, sit back with the source, reject the scraps, and ask the Lord to bring healing to your brokenness. Don't miss this time. Don't leave this space without coming before the Lord and asking for his healing. The Spirit of God will reveal to you the areas that you need healed. And when he does, ask and you will receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desperately need your restoration. This time in, in the history of our lives, we have experienced a brokenness that this generation has never experienced a loss that this generation has never experienced, and we need the source of life. Whatever has been ailing us, whatever has been wounding us or breaking us, I pray that we'll give it to you, that we will come to your presence, and that we will sit in your stillness and ask you to make those places of pain places of promise. Ask for your healing over each and every one of us this morning in your name. Amen.